Welcome to Arcade Attack. A retro gaming podcast for up to four players. Hello and welcome to the latest Arcade Attack podcast. It's Adrian here, and today I'm joined by Star Long. Now, he is an Origin Systems legend who's worked on many Wing Commander games, Ultima uh, series, the Ultima Online game, of course, Bioforge, a personal favourite. He's worked for Disney, he's worked for Portalarium with Richard Garrier, aka uh, Lord British. So, guys, sit back and enjoy a great interview with a real retro gaming legend. So we've got here on the latest Arcade Attack podcast, Star Long. Now he, proper retro gaming legend, a proper gaming legend of mine. So thank you so much for your time today, Star. You are most welcome. I'm excited to be here. Excellent. Um, love to start with from the beginning, really, if that's all right, Star, about maybe your earliest memories of gaming, your fondest memories while you're growing up and how you got into, well, how you got the love of the gaming industry, really. Uh, great question. I have been playing games really my entire life. Our family played games. Uh, my dad, I think, really instilled a love of games in me. He played chess and checkers yeah. with me. We played board games. You know, we played uh, Scrabble, Monopoly, uh, Life, um, you know, all sorts of games like that. And yeah. then... When I was in middle school was when I discovered uh, role-playing games and video games. Uh, and that was, you know, sort of the beginning of the end, if you will. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, that was our both, you know, video games was a combination of arcade games. I, I, and that was really in, uh, elementary school and also I had uh, first I had a Pong um, yep. which was the very first home video games but it wasn't even an actual Pong it was a, cl a clone from Radio Shack so I didn't even have an actual <laughs> Pong I had a Radio Shack clone of Pong and then quickly after that I got an Atari 2600 and uh, convinced my parents to give me as many games as I could possibly have uh, on there and you know so played games at home on my Atari yeah. and then played games in the arcade and then uh, I didn't have a computer at home but I had uh, computers at school and then my friend had an IBM uh, personal computer at his house and so I would go over to his house and we would play Wizardry and Ultima yeah and which you know, at the time, were the, the sort of head-to-head -head competitors in computer role-playing games. So those are that's kind of a summary of my a brief summary of my Brilliant. history love of games. I mean, I was going to ask you about obviously Ultima later, but you were a fan way before you you got the opportunity to work on the franchise. How crazy is that, really? Yeah. It, 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 well, yeah. When we get to how I got started in the game industry, it, it, it was yeah. this kind of bizarre. Uh, I appreciate yeah, it. We're well, yeah. yeah, let's get straight to it. I love it because obviously I played games growing up, but I never thought 
well, it never really crossed my mind to actually try and get into the industry, but you not only just got into it, you've made a proper mark in the industry. So I'd love to know how you first got the opportunity and your first few jobs and how that was you know, a good, good few years ago now. Well, funny, funnily enough, I, I was like you. I, I played video games uh, growing up and I actually played video games my whole life all the way you know, up until right before I got a job making them. Yeah. But I never made the intellectual leap forward that, hey, you know, people actually have jobs doing this. Yeah. You know, and despite the fact that I have a degree in theater. So obviously I knew that people made, you know, a living making entertainment for people. But again, I never, I, I hadn't read articles or learned who made the games or you know, uh, other than seeing the names and the credits, I didn't really know who those people were. And so uh, when I, I, I had moved to Austin, Texas after uh, graduating college, and I was sort of taking a break between getting my undergraduate and my graduate degree in theater, and I needed some steady work and uh, I did some odd jobs, and including doing some work in theater and even some construction work and flipping through the wanted ads at my friend's house after literally playing wizardry one night, we we saw this job, this job ad that said video game tester wanted. Wow. And we were sure this was not real. Yeah. Like we 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 were absolutely 100 percent certain. In fact, what we had decided was because we kept going back and forth, like, no, this cannot be real. No, 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 absolutely. And so what we finally figured decided was that it had to be a university psychology experiment. And yeah. what was gonna happen when I showed up was it wasn't gonna be an actual job interview. There was gonna be uh, student graduate students in lab coats, and they would be like, Oh, okay, so this is the kind of person who would show up for this <laughs> job ad. Uh, can you answer us? Can you answer some questions about like your lifestyle and how many hours a week you spend playing video games? And but the job ad, interestingly enough, did not show the company. Right, right. It, it just said it literally was just this little plain black and white <laughs> ad that said video game testers wanted, and then a temporary employment agency address and phone number. Yeah. And so I went to the interview and. Uh, I, the, I, I passed the temporary agency interview and they still didn't tell me and they were like, oh, wow, yeah, yeah you, you, you know, you're, you're, by the way, most, you know, people who apply for this job don't have college degrees, but uh, great, that's, uh, I'm, you'll, you'll do well. Um, here, you know, uh, that we're going we're gonna to send you on to interview at the company. Yeah. Like, um, like okay, and like, here's the address. And they still hadn't told me who, who and where it was. So I show up for the interview and I get into the building and it's it's Origin Systems. That's amazing. It's, it's where they're playing Ultima and, and where they make Ultima and Wingman. I'm like, what is going on? This Not only is it real, but it's a place where I've played these games. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and, and there's, there's like, you know, there's the posters of all the games on the wall and, you know, uh, there's probably, you know, I guess this is where all the people whose names were in these credits work. 
And I got the job, and uh, it was in QA testing the games, and it was real. Uh, and uh, I was there for about two weeks, and uh, I called, I remember distinctly calling my parents and saying, you know, uh, I've got some good news and some bad news. I'm not sure which is which, uh, but um, you're, you're not going to have to help me pay for graduate school because uh, I'm not going back to graduate school. <laughs> I'm going to make video games for the rest of my life. Uh, and I'm going to stay, you know, I found my calling. Uh, this is the best thing that has ever happened to me. Wow. I'm, I'm going to run this company someday. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, that's what happened. That's incredible. <laughs> I love that story. Um, yeah. I bet you had to pinch yourself a few times when you first walked into Origin Systems offices. Must be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was, uh, it, was it was definitely surreal. I, I, I you know there and there was a there were for those first few weeks. I, would, I, I there was some moments and my friends who of course we had had that discussion with this can't be real kept saying wait a minute they they kept like asking me now wait a minute so you <laughs> so the thing is real and you are getting paid to play video games. I'm like, well, <laughs> it's, it's a little, it's not that it's, it doesn't, it's not as fun as it sounds. The games are like really broken and they're not done. And they're like, yeah, don't, don't try to like make it seem no, yeah. uncool. it is super cool. And I'm like, yeah, it's pretty, it's super cool. <laughs> Do you remember the, yeah, the first game you worked on there for quality assurance at origin? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, it was actually the, Game Boy version of Ultima. Wow. It was called Runes of Virtue, uh, which most people don't even know, know exist. And there's not only one, but there's two of them. Is there? Yeah. I've never, uh, yeah, I've never heard of it. Yeah, so there, there's a Game Boy. And not only that, uh, it was the, the second one, Runes of Virtue 2, was the first, uh, as far as we know, the first... Uh, game made in uh, North America that used the link uh, so you could t- connect two Game Boys together yeah. and it was a two-player co-op game. Oh, wow. So that's a proper game in first. If that, if that's, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it was, it's, it's a great uh, Game Boy RPG. Yeah. So, uh, and so that, that and um, uh, Serpent Isle Mm. Uh, and Ultima, Un- I actually was testing three games at once. So, uh, Ultima Underworld 2, uh, Game Boy Runes of Virtue, mm. uh, and Underworld 2 were the three games that I was testing, uh, when I first arrived. That's great. That's amazing. Um, yeah. I've actually spoken to quite a few, uh, quality assurance people, uh, in game in the past. People like James Hampton. I think he worked at LucasArts first and went on to make a lot of Atari Jaguar games. And, um, it's a, re- you know, obviously it's a really important job. But how important, can you almost describe a typical day working in quality insurance? It's not just playing games, obviously. What sort of things would you usually do back then? Yeah, so it, it, it is really incredibly important to the whole process because um, what most people don't realize what has to happen before a game goes, uh, that a game ships is, um, First of all, game, games take a lot of effort to make, right? And, and games involve a lot of uh, coding and content creation. And uh, they involve uh, a lot of uh, 
logic sequences. Like if this happens, then do this thing. Mm. Um, and, 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 and the, those, those logic sequences are based on the input of the player. And so you as the tester are, your job is to, it, at, at first you just, you're, you kind of run through the game as if, in the sort of in the way it's intended to happen, right? Like what you would imagine the correct and sort of logical sequence of things. Like, yes, I'm going to go from point A to point B to point C in a pretty logical, like the way most people will do things. Yeah. But but once you do that, then you really are you start to do your your job really becomes well. I'm going to try and break the game. Like yeah. I'm gonna do things in unusual sequences. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna pick up things in the wrong order. I'm gonna press this thing. I'm gonna click really fast. I'm gonna. Um, and so you, because that's what people do, right? People don't do things in the correct order or the right way. And so, um, and a lot of it is uh, building these very elaborate, long checklists of, that make sure you walk through. And the more complex and elaborate the game is more complex and detailed these checklists are to, uh, to make sure that the game, every part of the game works correctly. And there's, and there's, there's multiple levels of that. There's, mm. so there's like a quick, what we call a sanity check, um, that just says, okay, does this, this particular version or build of the game work? Um, does all the basic functionality, does it like boot up? Um, can, can my, can I, uh, make a character and, and, and do the basic functions like move it around and uh, talk to NPCs and uh, equip an item yeah. or pick up items or add items to my inventory. Right. Um, so that would be, that would be what you, you, and you do that like within a few minutes. Um, and you, and the reason that like something like a sanity check is important because that tells the developers, do they need to do a new build right away or not? Yeah. Because builds take hours, right? Um, and in the old days, uh, we didn't really even have a, a network at the office. You had what was called sneaker net. So you would do a build and then you would literally have to walk the build over from where the developers were to where we were in QA physically, nice. like physical media. Yeah. Um, uh, and in that, in, in those days it was like on, on floppiness and lots of floppiness. So to like play the game, you had to insert floppy disk after floppy disk after floppy disk after <laughs> floppy disk, uh, especially for these big complicated games. Um, and then, uh, and so you do a sanity check, but then you do, you know, what a, a much more elaborate, uh, you know, playthrough uh, of the game. And then, and then, and there's two varieties of that playthrough. There's the, you know, the developer will want to know, uh, you know, what what nowadays people call a speed run, right? Mm-hmm. Which is where you know, just play through the game uh, as quickly as possible to the end and let me know if that, if you can finish the game. Yeah. And developer wants to know that fairly quickly. So we would have, we would have certain testers um, assigned to that to say, okay, can you get to the end of the game? Um, and, and in the course of development, you know, and as you're building out the game, you know, you're not, that's not done yet, right? So, when you first start as a tester, when you first start playing the game, you can maybe only get like, uh, you know, a tenth of the way, uh, a, a quarter of the way, a third of the way, and further and further and further until you're done with development and you can shift the game. So 
And generally, that cycle of how far you can get in the game expands over time. And then, but then you would, then the developer will want you to do a more methodical playthrough. And then some games will have multiple outcomes. So you have to do different playthroughs where you make different choices along the way. And then you have to do things like test on different hardware because not everybody has the same kind of hardware. So you have to test on different kinds of machines, different platforms, different operating systems, you know, different media. Like, so if you're shipping on different kinds of floppy disks or floppy disks versus like when CDs started, shipping on CDs, we had to test on floppy disks and CDs during that transitional phase. And then it became test on CDs versus DVDs, et cetera. And then whenever you find something wrong, the first, you write down what the bug is, what broke. But then once you do that, you have to try and repeat it. Right, yeah, yeah. You have to try and replicate exactly what happened because the first thing that'll happen when you hand that bug to a developer is they're going to try and repeat the bug. And if they don't have the steps to repeat it, they're going to send it back to you in QA and say, well, I can't repeat that. Yeah. You know, it works fine on my machine. So you, as a QA person, the very first thing you do when you find something broken is you try to repeat the steps that triggered that mistake. Wow. So it's not just literally playing games. It's proper, intense, quite an important, well, really important job, isn't it, really? Oh, yeah. Incredible. It's it's very methodical, and it takes a very, um, you know, uh, you have to have a very analytical mind to do it properly. Yeah. 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 Do you think your initial role as a, you know, working in QA helped out a lot in your, because you, you moved up the ranks very quickly, but do you think that first position helped a lot in the future roles you played? Yeah, I, 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 I would like to think so. I would, I would like to believe that um, it gave me a, a perspective that made me think about the end product strongly and, that, yeah. and and hopefully about the quality of the product and 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 made me think about what it meant to like keep the quality of the product forward in your mind yeah. so i i'd like to think that you know the realities of budgets and time frames and dealing with uh executive demands of course make you compromise a lot of those desires when you get into situations, but um, I do, I would like to believe that uh, starting in QA definitely uh, helped me in that role, and definitely helped me from an organizational standpoint. Yeah, yeah. Uh, really helped me uh, as far as uh, project management and thinking very analytically, for sure. Oh, great stuff. Um, I'd love to learn more about Origin Systems because it's rightly regarded as one of the most famous, you know, and well-respected video game companies. Uh, of its time, especially in the PC industry. Um, what was it like working there? Could you sort of sum up working with people like Ken, uh, Demarest, Richard Garriott, and other legends and Origin Systems as, as a whole? Uh, yeah, so Origin was, uh, it was a pretty fantastic place. It was uh, this really amazing uh, collision between technology and creativity um, and playfulness. 
You know, they're one of the things that re- we worked really, really hard, maybe a little too hard. You know, we uh, there was uh, quite a bit of overtime, but uh, yeah. the the amount of just sheer creativity and desire to do things differently and do really high levels of simulation, world simulation. That was kind of the, you know, the, the mantra of origin was we create worlds. Yeah. And this sort of overriding desire of everybody at that company to create these world simulations, which now is, 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 uh, become more commonplace in games. Uh, but at the time was not. Yeah. Uh, it, w- it was, and so the, the amount of, uh, creativity and, and, and we would do these, uh, sometimes we would, uh, play through the games on paper first before we would, um, code them. Um, because, uh, this, you gotta remember that this was before there were any off the shelf pre-existing kind of game engines of any kind. Yeah. And so everything had to be written from scratch every single time. Or if you had a game engine in-house, um, you you could repurpose it um, and reuse it, uh, but that was still pretty uncommon. Like, and a lot of it was because technology was changing so rapidly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we were moving between processors and physical media every couple of years. And so um, the, the, your chance to reuse an engine was pretty slim. And the, the idea that you would have uh, a reusable engine was still something not. So, you know, the, the, the analogy I like to use is imagine if you went to film a movie and before you filmed the movie, you had to invent cameras. <laughs> so that was kind of what it was like making games back then. Yeah. Like you, you literally would invent the camera before you could even start filming. Um, and, uh, but that playfulness was a pretty amazing part of it too. Like uh, there were these uh, things called green guns, which were basically uh, early sort of laser tag, home laser tag, um, where there would be laser tag games in the lobby of the building. Nice. Uh, uh, there were, uh, Richard would ho- uh, host these, elab- every other year he would host this insane haunted house um, at, his, at his own home where we would build these like Hollywood level special effects and prosthetic costumes. And like he had these friends in the fire department who would do things like bring an oil field fire simulator <laughs> that shoot like 30 foot fireballs in the air, uh, for part of his own. I mean, it was just, yeah, yeah it was, uh, and so the, and then we would work, we would work with groups like, uh, uh, Looking Glass who did the Underworld games, you know, which was, you know, one of the very first full first person 3D games ever. Um, and, when I played that, uh, testing that in Underworld 2, it was just like, oh my God, what is this? Uh, so it, it was, uh, and then uh, another thing that struck me is the artists that worked there, there would, on the whiteboards, 
there would be these amazing just murals that they would put up on the whiteboards of just these amazing scenes just just because yeah. you know, in addition to like making the art for the game they would just create these incredible murals um and so it was it was a it was a really special place um and you know chris roberts <clears throat> richard garriott warren Spector, uh, ken Demarest, uh and there, there's also little known things from on the technology side that like we <clears throat> we helped write uh the very first uh like uh graphics languages for uh windows uh, like yeah. all the OpenGL stuff um, we helped write that like we sent our top uh, graphics programmers to uh, Microsoft to help write all of the initial graphics like stuff for Windows. Wow. Oh. That's amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. That's a great little fact. And I mean, I always saw Origin Systems as always ahead of the time, really amazing technology being, you know, the games being pumped out was absolutely incredible. Um, I mean, how did you feel when it shut down the company? It must have been quite, quite a sad time when you heard it was going to close, right? Yeah, um, it was definitely the, you know, the passing of an era for sure. Um, it, you know, but it's a cycle that happens in, uh, it's an unfortunate cycle in the business where yeah. uh, smaller companies are acquired by larger companies. And it is a very uh, difficult challenge in that scenario for um, the smaller company to retain its ability to move forward properly while being part of that larger entity. And, you know, Electronic Arts gets a lot of bad rap yeah. for that. But, you know, I, I will also say Electronic Arts did a really great job in a lot of ways at the same time. And, and without Electronic Arts, Ultima Online would have never happened. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Um, we, uh, you know, Ultima Online was not part of the, the original budget for our plans of origin, um, we had to. Con- we it took a lot of convincing to get Electronic Arts to support mm. it, but they provided the initial seed money for it. Um, they, you know, once they were convinced, they definitely were on board with it. There were some ham-fisted decisions that happened along the way, but but you know, Electronic Arts poured a lot of money into Origin Systems. And, you know, now that, unfortunately, you know, there was a good side and a bad side to that. That ultimately, I think, you know, Origin overextended and overexpanded. It became too big too fast. Mm. Um, but, you know, Electronic Arts tried really hard to make Origin work. Um, and I think that, you know, we, we became victims of our own, you know, expansion and success like you know we 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 weren't necessarily equipped to be that big we were better at being small i see some parallels you may disagree star from like westwood studios i think they were uh, you know they they produced some brilliant games as well but and obviously ea got involved maybe that's a similar kind of thing as well i don't know if you agree oh absolutely yeah Uh, the, the, the parallels were i mean it was exactly the same situation 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll talk more about um, Ultimore later, but I'd love to start with um, Wing Commander because um, yeah. arguably, and you know, it's arguably, but it's definitely one of Origin Systems' most well-known sort of titles and games. Yeah. Um, did you work on any uh, Wing Commander games? And if so, what, what was your roles in these games? Uh, I only worked on those when I was in QA, and I worked on Wing Commander Academy, yeah. um, which was uh, the bo- the only multiplayer uh, Wing Commander. Uh, but um, and I also worked on Privateer. Oh right, yeah, uh, which was awesome. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I was uh, a tester on both of those. Um, and the they, they both had really they were both really unique titles sort of in the Wing Commander universe. Most people know about you know Wing Commander one, two, and three and yeah. four, you know, because those are the big, especially you know like Wing Commander three and four because those are the big sort of movie yeah. titles where like they had Mark Hamill in there, and, and those are the ones that most people are familiar with. But like. Uh, Academy was pretty cool because it was multiplayer and you got to fly uh, Kirapi ships. Yeah. Um, and so it's a, it's a, it's not a very well-known Wing Commander title, but it's really cool. And so you can fly, like one one player can play Kirapi ships uh, while the other player is flying uh, you know, the other ships, the human ships. And so uh, flying the human ships versus the Kirapi ships is... Pretty killer. Nice. Uh, it's the only, as far as I know, it's still the only Wing Commander title where you can do that. Yeah, because I, I have to confess, I haven't played that one. I've only played yeah, one, two, and three, really, the, the sort of older ones and with the Mark Hamill kind of ones, truthfully. But yeah. I have to check it out, definitely. Yeah, you should. And then Privateer, uh, you know, was, you know, definitely took its inspiration from, you know, uh, Han Solo and the, the whole idea of being the smuggler and yeah. the, uh, and it's it's all about uh, moving, uh, you know, sort of a building your own spaceship and being a, like a, a commercial uh, smuggler, privateer, yeah. fighter. So you build up a custom ship over time, uh, and you get to customize the ship and like customize what the weapons are, the engine and uh, the shields. And uh, while you're in combat, you have to like manipulate that kind of stuff and uh it was it was really cool and also uh way ahead of its time yeah uh, and one of the projects right before uh, a bunch of us left origin that w- was going to be really cool was like a privateer online uh, oh. which would have been amazing well yeah she's yeah you started work on that game or is it or just an idea or it was in like a sort of conceptual phase but it never really Oh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> I mean, I know I don't know who owns the rights anymore for Wing Commander. There was obviously a movie, but do you think there's room for a new game in the series? Uh, absolutely. You know, I mean, every one of the things we, you know, every few years we kind of uh, ping Electronic Arts about some of the uh, intellectual property they own, like Ultima yeah. and Wing Commander, and you know, they always claim that they're going to do something with them because um, we we ping them and say hey you know if you're not doing something with them we'll gladly do something yeah with them. yeah uh and but they always claim that they did there's something that works <laughs> so we can't do anything with them. Oh, that's so, i don't know if, <laughs> do we believe them <laughs> star i don't know <laughs> 
I don't believe it. Well, no, I think if they're not going to use the franchise or the IP, I think they should give it back to the people who made the games originally. But that's my view, obviously. But well, or 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 license it. Yeah, we 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 were you know we were happy to pay a license, but yeah. Oh well. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Maybe this time next yeah. year. Who knows? Eh? Um, I love probably my favourite actually Origin Systems game is probably Bioforge actually I know it doesn't always get the recognition I think it deserves personally but um, what was your role in this particular game and did you work closely with uh, Ken Demarest on this game? Well I am so glad that that is your favourite because uh, Bioforge was pretty pivotal for me and my career Oh really? So uh, Bioforge was uh, I think the last game that I worked on while I was still in quality assurance. And, and while I was there, um, you know, it was, it was the very first, um, game or it was one of the first games at origin where, uh, we used this, uh, branding, uh, interactive movie. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and during the development of that, uh, I, I did get to work a lot with uh, Ken Demarest, and he. One of the things that was really exciting about Ken is Ken is a technologist, and he was, you know, he was always really passionate about pushing the envelope of what was what technology was capable of doing. Mm. And one of the things he wanted to do was see if there was something different we could do with the way we animated the characters. And so he learned about something that was, at the time, uh, pretty new and revolutionary, which was called motion capture. Yeah. And so he did a ton of research, and we actually got a bunch of, like, I think, I don't know what the number was, but it seemed like a lot. Uh, it may have been like 10 different companies. Uh, that might be an exaggeration, but there were a bunch of different companies that came in and demoed their motion capture technology. And this is really early. I mean, this is way before, like people are really familiar now. Well, I say that, but people are familiar now with the whole concept of motion capture. And when they think of motion capture, they think of the little dots. Yeah. People wearing the black leotard and they have little white dots on them. And, and they're mostly familiar with it from movies and they think of Gollum and they think of Andy Circus right. yeah. and they of uh, Gollum, right? That's right, yeah. But motion capture has been used in video games. In fact, it was used in video games before movies, and then movies started using it. And, and that technique of motion capture is video motion capture. And so that's where they use cameras to track mm. dots, and then a computer uses those dots to map them to a, 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 skeleton, a humanoid skeleton, or actually they can do it with animals too. But, um, and that's a, that's a visual system. And at the time that we were doing the research, I don't believe visual systems existed yet, or if they did, they were pretty, they were pretty primitive and they didn't really work very well. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, Ken found, uh, a, a different one. Um, well, he found a, a system, uh, that used, uh, uh, magnets and their, the, the mag, the orientation of magnets uh, to to do the motion capture, and 
So, and he, and so as I was testing, uh, as I was being, uh, the test lead. And so I was assigned to be the lead tester for yeah. bio Yeah. And one of the things that there were a couple of things that stood out for me, uh, to be, uh, to being the lead tester. One, uh, was this cool new motion capture technology. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the other thing that was really exciting about it was this idea that there was going to be multiple endings to the game depending on the choices you made. Oh, so great. And so, so as part of that, remember I was telling you about these checklists that you have to make for uh, being a quality insurance. Yeah. So I had to make, uh, you know, multiple playthrough checklists for my team because we had to play through the game multiple different ways every single time to test all the different outcomes, right? Because because every playthrough, if depending on how you made your choices, they ended ended differently, right? Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> the other thing is working closely with Ken. Um, he Ken is uh, uh, you know a, a technology guy, and uh, one of the things that I you know coming from a QA background, and I also uh, did stage management when I was in theater. You know, I was very interested in project management. And so uh, one of the things that the, this project needed help with was project management. So I, I asked him if I could also help with helping with, you know, in production, mm. like scheduling and, and, and helping organize the project. So in addition to the QA stuff, I also helped a little bit in production. But the, the thing that I really was excited to get to do was... Uh, you know, I was like, hey, Ken, you know, I have a theater degree and I got to do some stage combat and things like that when I was getting my degree. And so, you know, if you need someone to put on the suit, do <laughs> like combat stuff, I'm your guy. That's brilliant. <laughs> and so like for a few months every day for, you know, uh, a couple of hours, uh, me and Mike Cheneau, who was one of the uh, programmers on the project, would sit in the cafeteria because you needed a, you needed a space. One of the, cause these were magnets. Yeah. You had to be in a really big open space. Cause if you were too close to any metal, it would throw off the readings. <laughs> wow. So that was the Achilles heel of this system was you couldn't be near any walls because, uh, in most office buildings, the studs in the walls are metal, yeah. which would interfere with the readings. Which we discovered the hard way. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. Well, because we were like, we tried to do it in a smaller space, and we were like, and like your arm, the arms would flail everywhere, and we were like, oh no, we didn't. Uh, and so we had to do it in the ca- in the cafeteria because that was the only big open space. Yeah. And so a lot of the, oh, in fact, I think all of the combat moves in that game are me. That's great. <laughs> uh, and. Uh, and so, yeah, that was, uh, that was, uh, definitely like sort of the pinnacle of my, uh, testing career. And also, you know, the, I probably, I guess the first and only time that I got to do be a motion capture actor. So, uh, and maybe the only time that that motion capture system was used in a game. I'm not sure if it was used in other games ever. That's brilliant. Uh, cause, cause quickly the, visual motion capture system became the one and only dominant motion capture technology. Right. Yeah. So, 
Well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, Star, I think you, you do a better roundhouse kick than me, that's for sure, because that's pretty impressive in the game, I have to say. No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I love, Bioforge is great. I think it's, it's quite a dark story. I really think, I don't know if you agree with me, but I think it sort of paved the way for, um, things like Resident Evil, kind of those sort of 3D, um, graphics. I know Alone in the Dark was a tad before, but it, it just seems so, Advanced so ahead of its time by a forge. I, why do you think maybe it doesn't quite get the res, not respect but the recognition it might might deserve right now? Um, well, I think one of the there are two issues. I think one, it was pretty short. Yeah. So I think because it um, and it was it was originally meant to be longer, but we just ran out of time and money. So yeah. the beautiful story. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons. Uh, I think, I think the other one is uh, that if we made it now, I think it might get more recognition. But at the time, you know, sci-fi was not getting as much, except for like Wing Commander. Sci-fi was not getting as much recognition as sword and sorcery mm. in the video game space. I mean, Wing Commander was literally the only ex- exception to that. Yeah, it's a fair shout. Um, yeah. And so I think that that might be another reason. Um, but those are the only ones I can think of. I'm not I, like. Um, yeah, I mean, I read you need you did need a big, powerful PC to play it. Maybe it yeah. wasn't accessible to everyone uh, in the game in the PC market, possibly. But it's just, yeah. that's what I read a little bit. But I mean, I loved it. I, I, I just did a podcast recently on it and I spoke to Ken on a text interview and he's really, you know, gave some great answers and what a great person uh, Ken is really. He's quite proud of it as well. But he, he said that one thing that he found that let the game down a bit was the gameplay. That's the one thing he would change personally. What, what do you think about that aspect? Yeah. I mean, there, like, there were a bunch of places where we wanted it to be a lot more freeform and it devolved into just a click on this particular pixel. Yeah. To solve it. Um, and the original design had it be much more freeform, um, but because of time and technology, we couldn't get it there. Yeah. But uh, I think I, I would agree with them there. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, did you ever start work on the sequel or even the um, is it BioForge Plus? You know, sadly weren't released, obviously. Uh, well, so there was an expansion yeah. pack work started on for sure um and in fact um uh uh i think there was even some initial art made for it um but i don't but it never got finished Uh, and there was definitely uh it was part of a larger universe that had been started to be fleshed out in fact uh as well and i think uh originally uh crusader um and crusader you know, Crusader No Remorse, that yeah. sci-fi game that, or that was supposed to be, I think, in the same universe. Oh wow! Ultimately, it was decided to have it in a separate universe. Oh wow! That's I yeah. Appreciate the stuff. Um, I, I want to talk about Ultima now. I've been you, you spoke earlier, right? At the start of the pod, you were a fan uh, growing up. What was the first Ultima game you started to actually work on, and was it was it after BioForge, and uh, how did that how did that sort of pan out? Yeah, uh, so while I was in QA, um, I, you know, I had done Runes of Virtue, I'd done a bunch, of, you know, I'd done Serpent Isle, and I'd done Runes of Virtue, uh, and then I'd done uh, Ultimate Pagan. Yeah. Uh, and then 
right about, uh, and then I'd done BioForge, and right about that time uh, was another one of Richard's haunted houses. And um, I worked with this guy, Steve Hemphill, to do uh, lighting at lighting and special effects at the haunted house. And between working at Origin and working on the haunted house, I got to know Richard a little better. Yeah. And part I was kind of infamous in QA because um, I sort of wrote these. You know, my bugs were often. Uh, in addition to writing up the bugs, I would write these elaborate suggestions, and I would also sort of invite myself into developers' offices mm. and just sort of talk to them about, hey, you know, here's here's what I think about your game and this level, <laughs> and, and it would be like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> really? Uh, and uh, so I became kind of infamous, and then I would just do things like on the Biforce thing, invite myself to help with the project management. Yeah. Uh, or invite myself to be motion capture. And so I kind of made a name for myself. Uh, and then I kind of got burnt out and was going to leave. And then Richard, uh, my boss at the time, Kay Gilmore, and Richard talked me out of it and said, hey, you know, you have a really bright future here. You know, you should stick around. Uh, and then, you know, I worked on the haunted house. And then Ultima 9 was starting. And... After that work on Bioforge and other QA lead stuff, uh, Richard asked if I wanted to be an associate producer on Ultima 9. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, 100%. Um, and I have all these great ideas and, you know, this. Now, right at the same time, Ken and I had been talking about how, uh, the internet and multiplayer was going to be the future. Yeah. And so while Richard is inviting me to be the associate producer to Ultima 9, uh, Ken and I started working on a pitch for what we were calling Multima. Wow, that's a good name. And multiplayer Ultima. Yeah. So I was like, yes, I'll absolutely be the associate producer for Ultima 9. But while I was doing that, I was also working on the pitch for this thing called Multima. And this idea was not necessarily new. Um, the the idea for a multiplayer Ultima had been brought up every now and then uh, because, you know, multiplayer games that existed on AOL and like the Sierra Network, I mean, Habitat had been done in the late 80s already um, at that point. And, so, and MUDs had existed at this point. Yeah. So the idea of a multiplayer computer role-playing game was not new, no. right? Um, but there was there was this convergence happening, Ken and I believed, um, with the internet and the soon-to-be-launching World Wide Web. Because at this point, this was uh, 19, uh, the end of 94, beginning of 95. And so the World Wide Web hadn't yet launched. Uh, and so we, our initial pitch was, let's, it wasn't, it wasn't a massively multiplayer game. It was just literally a multiplayer game using the internet to connect people. And uh, it was meant, like when you play Ultima, 
you would have uh, your avatar and the eight companions, and each of the companions represented the virtues. Mm. And so our initial pitch was, wouldn't it be awesome if, you know, you could have the, you know, eight people playing together over the internet, you know, the eight companions, per se. Uh, and that was the initial uh, pitch. But then, you know, we started looking at things like MUDs and we're like, mm, you know, it could be a lot more than eight people. Yeah. Could be, could be hundreds of people. <laughs> and so then it worked to be like hundreds. Uh, and then, and then, so then we went to, uh, so we came up with some uh, pitches and we brought them to Electronic Arts and we were like, hey, you know, we think this whole, you know, World Wide Web and Internet multiplayer gaming might be a big thing. Uh, something soon. And they're like, yeah, don't think so. Um, it's too early, you know. And, and you have to remember at this point, you know, the biggest online game ever had been Air Warrior, and that had been like 30,000 people. Well, yeah, wow. And so, so they're understandably like, nah, you know, we don't think it's going to be a big deal. Yeah. Uh, it, it took three pitches to get them to sort of go, okay, well, here's some here's some money for you to go build a prototype. Uh, and so that's when Richard said, okay, well, I think this is a I you know you're, this is a big deal. You need to go focus on this, and I'll find somebody else to work on Ultima. Uh, and he let me go do Ultima. And we, at that point, we changed the name to from Ultima Ultima. Yeah. And you were. Um given the job as director is that right yeah i mean that's yeah. i don't want to sound uh i don't want to put down the job of a quality a qa because it's an important job but that's a big leap isn't it would you agree star <laughs> yeah it was a pretty huge jump uh, after three years of qa to all of a sudden have my own project that's incredible but I mean, it's a huge success. It was a, it's still being played today, I believe, isn't it? It's it's popular. Um, it's crazy. What I mean, I know you said it wasn't the first um, multiplayer RPG, but it's it was one of the first really popular ones. It, it, it struck a chord. Why why do you think? Um, well, actually, what was keeping the game's original essence, the old Ultima series, and uh, uh, moving? What was uh, moving it online? Was was that your main goal for the game, or? How do you look back at that? Time? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So our main goal was to create a a game where people could connect over the internet, yeah. uh, where they didn't have to use a, a third party service like AOL or anything like that. So they could so they could correct, connect directly through the internet. So that was that. Was, and people sort of take that for granted, but most people don't realize that before. Ultima Online, every, and other than MUDs, every other graphical online game was on a service like AOL or Sierra. Yeah. So our goal was to go directly through the internet uh, and uh, create a game where people could live in the world of Ultima, live and play together in the world of Ultima. That was, and yeah. that live part was also a, a very strong goal for us where uh, it wasn't just going to be about uh, adventuring, that there was going to be this strong component of dwell. Yeah. Like, uh, and we took our inspirations from 
uh, game, you know, very pioneering games like Habitat all the way from the like 80s and, and other and MUDs and things like that where players had their own homes. Um, and so we were the first graphical online game to, uh, to have homes that you could customize and place anywhere. Um, and I think that balance between adventuring and socializing and having a permanent space that you could call your own yeah. is what provided and continues to provide the longevity. To I think that if we had just had a game that was focused on adventuring, that I don't think it would still be around. It still is. It really, I mean, uh, I'd love to know, would you call Ultima Online your most proudest moment in gaming for you? Because it's, it's, it's legacy lives on today. It's huge. Or is there other, other sort of times that, that we, you, you class as your, your, your biggest achievement in gaming? No, I, there's no doubt that that, because it, Ultima Online is definitely my proudest achievement. Yeah. Because not they did, not, you know, not only is it still around and, you know, most people can't say that a game they wrote, you know, over 20 years ago is still running. Yeah. Um, you know, we launched in 97 and it's 22 years later. It's still going. <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, but it really helped define and shape and create a whole genre of games. Yeah. And again, that's not something that you get to say very often, right? Like mm-hmm. that's, uh, so yeah, without a doubt, it is my proudest moment. And, and the, the team I had working with me was just incredible. Raph Coster in particular, uh, you know, he, he brought to us just this amazing wealth of knowledge from MUDs that without him, we could not have made that game happen. So, you know, we, we just really, and again, you know, Electronic Arts gets a super bad rap, but yeah. they, the infrastructure that we needed to launch and support that thing would not have been possible without Electronic Arts. Well, so, yeah, credit yeah. to you, definitely. Um, as I said, I mean, it's still popular today. People are still playing it. I mean, 20, yeah. 22 years, that's incredible. I mean, there, you're right, there isn't many games that can claim that they can still play it. I mean, do you still play yourself? Have you sort of played the game recently yourself? Or uh, yeah, so there was a, you know when around the twentieth anniversary, there was a whole series of uh, both real world and virtual events. Yeah, uh, where uh, my 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 old character uh, Blackthorn and Richard's character Lord British, where we got in the game <laughs> and uh, played with players, and there was all sorts of crazy happenings because it was the twentieth anniversary, and then we went to like uh, a 20th anniversary player event in uh, yeah. DC, Washington DC area, which is where the current uh, developers who run the game uh, support out of and met with players. And the, the, mo- the most amazing thing was uh, meeting a player who introduced me to their son who was uh, I think 17 or nine, no, 19. Yeah. And so it was born after the game launched and now plays with his parents. Plays <laughs> with his parents. It was like, oh my God, wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Oh, that is incredible. I mean, um, I spoke, he's, uh, Joe Garriott, I don't know if you know him, he's one of, I think he's Origin Systems' biggest fan, he's got loads. Of, oh yeah, yeah, he's got the museum. He's got the museum and he showed me some pictures on Facebook Live um, and he's been really nice actually, he's given me some 
interesting stories about Origin. Um, but yeah, he, he says he still goes to Ultima meetups like once a year or even more. And, you know, you meet up and they have, I think he said, uh, drinks and the uh, revelry and so forth. I mean, it's incredibly popular today still. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you have to almost, yeah, I mean, Star, you know, I, I suppose you have to almost pinch yourself sometimes when you realise a game you made so many years ago is still so popular. But credit, credit to you, definitely. Yeah, it was a, when, uh, so Raph and Rich Vogel and Richard and I did the 20th anniversary post-mortem at the Game Developers Conference. Oh, right, yeah. And, uh, the room was full and then, and, but before the thing started, there was like the line to get in and we were walking up and down the line just saying hi to people. And the, the, the most humbling experience for me was talking to younger developers and having them say, you know, that was one of their inspirations for getting in the game industry. And that just, that made me feel really proud. The, the fact that I could inspire another generation of game developers, uh, because, you know, at the end of the day, I, I want to I, I entertain people and I want to, you know, have a place where people can go and, and yeah. enjoy themselves. And, and to know that I'm helping inspire another generation of people who want to do the same thing just makes it all. Oh, well, credit to you, sir. Um, I'd love to know why Why did you end up... You said earlier a bit burnt out, but you stayed. and Thank, thank goodness yeah. you stayed because you made one of the most important games ever. But what what was the reason that made you leave Origin Systems? Uh, so we... You know, after we finished Ultima Online, um, we... There was... we. You know, I worked on the live uh, product for... Uh, another six months. Yeah. Um, and then at that point, uh, Electronic Arts, you know, which didn't have a lot of online experience, or well, none of us had a lot of online experience, but we had now had more under our belt. They were like, well, now you need to work on the sequel. Mm. And we're like, well, we're not sure that it works that way. Like, we think we should just keep expanding this one and then work on a different kind of game, online game. Mm. Like, we should make, a, like, a, you know, a Wing Commander online or a Privateer online or uh, we pitched, like... And so we came up with, like, 20 different pitches for online games, like, including some really wacky ones, like, like a, that we pitched to, like, a, a martial arts, like a Kung Fu. Oh, nice. we, we pitched a... Uh, Flash Gordon, the kind of '50s <laughs> themed sci-fi one. We pitched a uh, a football uh, one where it was going to use the Unreal Engine for the football matches yeah. and football in like uh, what we call soccer, but football for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and we'd use Unreal for the matches, but then and so some so some players who wanted to play. Uh, as the actual football players could do that part, but then other players could be the like the managers. Oh, nice! So there'd be a whole economic side, of it. and then other players could just be in the stands watching the games. Wow, that's, yeah. And so it was like an MMO about being like a football fan or being a football player, and uh, and still, I, I don't understand why no one's done that one, um, and. Because they have football manager games, and oh, yeah. they have like FIFA, 
Combine the two. No, yeah. no one's mashed those up together. Yeah, good point. Um, and but they said no, we don't want any of that. We want you to make Ultima Online too. And so I was a you know a good soldier, and so I I, I said okay, fine, I'll work on Ultima Online too. But the problem with Ultima Online two was that we were chasing the feature set of Ultima Online. So we're trying to do everything Ultima Online had in it, but in 3D. Yeah. Um, and but more. And so we we could never catch up. And then they ultimately ended up canceling it uh, for in favor of some other games that other studios were working on, like Earth and Beyond and Motor City Online and Sims Online. Uh, and which ironically were you know, exactly what we had told them is like, work on other types of games. Yeah. And so at that point, I, I realized that, you know, I was, I was done and I moved on. Well, fair play. I mean, it does sound like, you yeah, you left at the right time, it sounds. You left your legacy and... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is it true you, you joined Disney? I mean, Origin Systems are huge, but Disney, I mean, one of the biggest companies in the world. Is that right? Uh, I did. I worked at Disney uh, uh, for about five and a half years, and I worked uh, in uh, the, the interactive worlds group, um, and I built uh, a learning platform that allowed game designers to connect learning content to games, and uh, we did we connected that platform to Club Penguin. Oh yeah, yeah. So Club Penguin. Uh, at that time, was the biggest online game for kids, um, and uh, so we connected that platform to a, a bunch of games inside Club Penguin, and then built an app in Facebook where parents could see what their kids were learning. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I was also running the interact interactive worlds group for a little while, and also built some mobile apps. Um, for the iPhone uh, that were connected to that learning platform as well. Nice stuff. So, yeah. Well, yeah, no, I mean, it must be incredible uh, working at the company. I mean, do you look back with fond memories as well working at Disney? Uh, yeah, it was uh, my first office uh, when I got there was actually over in Imagineering, and yeah. right outside my office was a uh, full-sized Wally robot. Yeah. Uh, that was could be remote controlled. Uh, that was so. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty amazing. That, that does sound pretty good. Um, yeah. We've mentioned Richard Garrett before. You know, aka Lord British. What what a real legend he is. Um, yeah. I mean, he's done much more than just gaming, isn't he? He's, he's I think he's literally gone out of, out of Earth, isn't he? He's he's, he's, a, he's an astronaut. If that if that's right. Um, what. How did you get the opportunity, you know, to, to rework them again? Did you you joined them at is it Port, Portolarium quite quite recently? How did that How did that happen then? Uh, yeah, so you know, there. So I worked at Disney for about five and a half years, and then you know, uh, I decided to uh, that I was ready to look for something new. Yeah, and uh, I was at South by, and at that when I was working for Disney, I had actually moved away from Texas, and I was. Uh, living in California, and but I came to uh, South by Southwest back here in Austin, Texas, and which is where uh, 
for Larry Miz. And yeah. I, I reached out to Richard and said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to be leaving Disney and, um, just talking to everybody I know about what's going on. He's like, Oh, well, we are about to do a Kickstarter for basically the modern rework of Ultima Online. Yeah. I'm like, well, tell me more. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, he, he basically pitched it and said, hey, you know, this is really what we're trying to do. We're trying to basically capture, recapture the whole, you know, essence of Ultima Online, but with modern technology. Yeah. And I said, well, uh, that sounds really cool, and I'm looking for my next thing, and if you have a successful Kickstarter, I'm in. Nice. And uh, that's... And then they did. So they, you know, they asked for a million and they got 2 million in their Kickstarter. And so I, I said, well, I think that counts as a successful Kickstarter. So I'm on board. Brilliant. I mean, um, was, was Shroud of Avatar, was that the first game you probably worked on then? Is that the, is that, is that the Ultima Online sort of, um, spinoff? Is that all right? Yeah, so uh, Shroud the Avatar, yeah. is, it's the game that they did the Kickstarter for, and yeah. it's a uh, it's basically the modern equivalent of Ultima Online. It's a uh, massively multiplayer game uh, with the same sort of sandbox balance of like living and adventuring uh, with a, you know an incredibly in depth customizable housing system and crafting. Uh, take and to the point where all of the best gear in the world is made by players. So nice. uh, you don't you don't actually get you get components and materials through adventuring that you then use to make the best gear. So uh, it's a completely player driven economy. Oh, nice! I, I'm gonna have to check it out. Definitely, I, I, I haven't played it, but I will give it a go. Hundred percent. It's free to play. So yeah, I mean, that's yeah, a- yeah. That's me. That's it's and everybody who, uh, as soon as you finish the first uh, uh, quest uh, series in uh, second map you go to, you get a free uh, lot deed and a house. Brilliant. Yeah. There you go. Oh, nice one, Star. I mean, was it great working back at Richard then? Like like the old days, was it almost the same sort of feeling, the sort of excitement, and getting getting back to uh, sort of the old days again? Uh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. it, it, you know, it was, again, uh, it, our whole goal was to rework that old magic. And we even, our offices even had the, you know, all the posters of all the games, all the origin games. So, oh, all, on, yeah. you know, all the Ultimas and the Wing Commanders up on the walls and like the Ultima Online yeah. uh, cover art and all that stuff. So, yeah, definitely it was that, you know, just like the old. Sure. Oh, I love that because obviously, like I mentioned earlier, Origin Systems is not here sadly anymore, but it does, it does sound the essence is still there with you, you and Richard, obviously. So good on you, definitely. Yeah. Um, is there any other new games or projects you're working on you can reveal, or is it all top secret stuff? Uh, no, Shroud the Avatar has been my focus. Um, you know, we and we live stream uh, almost on a daily basis, and we have a, a, a main official one uh, every Friday at four o'clock. Uh, Central Time, US. 
Um, and again, like I mentioned, it's free to play. Uh, and so uh, no cost to play and everybody gets a piece of house. And so that's the main one to check out. Uh, yeah. I'm doing some consulting stuff, but that's really not uh, gaming related. Um, so, so I don't compete with myself basically. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, uh, so I do, I do tech consulting stuff on the side, um, but, uh, that's not, not really with the game stuff. Oh, look, um, Star, I, leave, I know you're a busy man, so I'll leave, leave you to it. But again, thank you so much for your time today. I do really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get in touch regarding this week's episode or anything else, you can tweet us at Arcade Attack UK, at Keith Barlow 82 and at Arcade underscore Adriano. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Arcade Attack UK. Please check out our website at arcadeattack.co.uk for lots of retro gaming goodness, interviews, reviews, features, top 10, etc. And you can also find all our previous podcasts there. Our podcasts are available to stream from the website and are available to download for free from Stitcher, Podbean and iTunes, where you can also leave us a review and a rating, which we would really, really appreciate. So until next time, take care and we'll speak to you soon.